Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. Before we start this episode, I wanted to let you know about a really exciting four-part series that's coming later this month. I've teamed up with fellow podcast host and investor, Algie Smith-Maxwell, who's been buying funds professionally for over three decades. In our bonus series, I'll pick Algie's brains on everything to do with funds, including how to build a fund portfolio, how to sort the wheat from the chaff when it comes to picking active funds, and when to call time on a fund by hitting the sell button. You'll be able to listen right here every Tuesday from the 27th of February. We hope you'll join us then, and please do spread the word, particularly to those you know who are thinking about investing but don't know where to start, as we'll help break down those barriers and hopefully help set them off on the right foot ahead of this side of the new tax year. Back to this episode, I'm joined by George Enzor, Fund Manager of the River and Mercantile UK Microcap Investment Trust. I'm going to be asking George to name some reasons for optimism for this out-of-form area of the stock market. I'll also be asking George for examples of companies that are looking very cheap and more broadly, I'll be asking him how he is playing a potential recovery for UK smaller company shares. But firstly, I asked George to set the scene by explaining why ever since interest rates started rising at the end of 2021, it has been a very challenging time to invest in UK smaller companies. So I guess the easiest way to set the scene is is to say... Um, what we've been through in the last couple of years in UK small caps is a proper bear market for small caps. It's the largest bear market in terms of relative performance since 1989. The numerous smaller companies, that's the bottom 10% of listed companies in the UK, gone down by about a third. The wider UK market, the MSCI UK, is up over 10%. So you've got a 46% relative drawdown for the small cap market, which is extreme. To put that in context... GFC and dot com were 10 to 15% relative underperformance. So, you know, it's substantially worse than that. Why? What's been the driver of that? You touched on interest rates starting to go up. So, you know, first and foremost, when people are looking to invest in small caps, they're looking to invest in businesses that can grow more quickly. That is what supports the small cap premium. And all else being equal, if if you've got higher interest rates, then that those future earnings, those longer duration growth earnings are worth less. So that's one of the drivers. I think if you also look at the sectors between the FTSE 100 and and small caps, you know, there are some some big differences. Put yourself back into kind of mid-2021, the expectations were either that the UK went into a a recession or that we had this period of high inflation and low growth. And that's what we've ended up having, that stagflationary period, high high inflation, low growth. The sectors to go to, to to grow earnings in that period are financials, big banks, materials, energy, and within consumer, which is a big part of the economy, uh, you want to be owning consumer staples over consumer discretionary. And that's basically what the FTSE 100 has, uh, those sectors. If you flip to what small cap has within consumer, it's got a lot of consumer discretionary. And actually within financials, it's got quite a lot of kind of fintech businesses, less kind of deposit funded traditional banks. So I think the the relative earnings potential of those businesses have, have obviously moved over the last couple of years as well. And that's been reflected. And then, you know, if you think of various other drivers, there have been some, you know, significant volatility in, in FX and gas, gas prices. 
FX, the FTSE 100, 25% domestic, 75% overseas, small caps, more like 50-50. So a boost to the, the 100 when you have a weak sterling, um, a headwind to, to domestic cyclical businesses, which you find more of in, in small cap. Same with gas. And then another point that people raise is about uh, leverage. So small caps are less geared than large caps. Large caps in the UK have about two times net debt to EBITDA. Small caps about one times, but they are on variable lending rates versus the big companies that tend to use the bond market to, to fix debt. So you do have that that interest rate headwind on, on leverage as well. So you can see all of those things I pulled together are fundamental reasons why smaller companies might underperform. You then have a much larger overlay around that, which is sentiment and momentum, which is when smaller companies start underperforming, people start pulling money out of smaller companies, the mid cap funds, you know, retrench from being overweight small cap to going back into the large and mid caps. And that drives this cycle of, of underperformance that we've seen play out over the last two, two and a bit years. You focus on the smallest of the smaller companies, the micro caps. These are companies that you define as being sub 100 million in terms of size. Has this area of the market been even more out of favour? Yeah, so it's hard to be definitive because there isn't a microcap benchmark. Uh, we benchmark against that new Miss Smaller Companies Plus AIM benchmark. Um, but we have, you know, the trust has benefited over the years from both um, high earnings growth and then a re-rating of those earnings. And I would say earnings growth hasn't been zero. It's been positive over the last few years, but it's been harder to come by than, you know, probably the five years prior to that or 10 years prior to that. And then we've seen a big, big derating, which is that last point I made on the previous answer. So to put that into into context, I guess the I said this, the small cap market went down by a third. AIM, which is about you know about the same size, so both of those markets top out at about two billion. I think AIM's a bit higher now. Our portfolio weighted average is about 120 million market cap. So we're materially smaller. So numerous smaller companies down about a third. AIM was down about just under 50 percent. Uh, and our NAV quite similar, just over 50%. And basically that was derating. So if you look at the, the small cap benchmark went from about 15 or 16 times to nine times. AIM's gone from 22 times in September, 2021. This is PE to 11 times. So if it's down by 50%, the rating's halved. You can see that actually earnings haven't been the issue. And you know the several examples, multiple examples in the portfolio where we've seen that the ratings on these businesses half or, or more than half. So I think it, the damage has been done by the derating, hard to be definitive about it being worse at microcap, but that cycle of um, outflows from small cap funds does drive a mindset. And that mindset is, as I just touched on those mid cap funds retrenching, we've always benefited from smaller company funds looking to invest and seek growth alpha, if you like, in, in micro caps. And when they're facing outflows, that's probably quite far down their list of priorities. And um, the length of outflows we've had, so UK small cap open-ended funds went into outflow in September 2021. Every single month since then, they've had outflows. So it's the longest period of consecutive outflows um, that we can see. Haven't got the date of January yet, but 28 months um, of outflows does drive a, you know, that, that derating makes it very hard for us to perform. And given your investing companies that are sub 100 million in terms of size, 
Does that mean that you're mainly focusing on early stage growth companies? Some of it, to a certain extent, we are. If you're investing in a 50, 60 million pound company, I think that growth has to be a key component of your shareholder value creation. So we look for companies that can create shareholder value. We look to buy those businesses cheaply and with momentum. So that's our, our philosophy. And then we break that shareholder value creation into growth, quality and recovery. And just over half of the fund is currently and has typically been in growth businesses. Um, but even where we have quality businesses or recovery businesses, so quality would be high return on capital. Recovery would be businesses that have previously been attractive franchises that have gone through a period of decline and we believe they can recover back to where they were before. Even where you have those investment cases in the in the fund, we still think that you need to have growth as an aspect because simply put, if you buy a £40 million recovery investment case and you think it's got 100% upside, you get to £80 million. There's not a lot of other buyers for a fair value 80 million pound company so so it doesn't get there so i think growth is is a really important aspect of what we're looking for in companies you asked about early stage growth it's a tricky one that because i don't think there's a definition we don't have a lot of loss makers about 12 percent, 12 to 15 percent of the fund is free cash flow negative but how many of those businesses could flip to profits if they just stopped investing for growth I expect a lot of them, if not all of them. So we always try and look at those areas where, for example, a company might be loss making, but free cash flow positive, and the market writes it off as a loss making early stage growth business. But actually, there's a great business underneath that we can we can invest in. You've explained why it's been a tricky couple of years investing in UK smaller companies. So could you give some reasons for optimism? Are there potential catalysts that you see at the moment that could revive the fortunes of this part of the market? And is the potential peaking of the interest rate cycle one of those potential catalysts? So I think it stands to reason if the big driver of the derating and the underperformance we've seen for the last two years was interest rates going up, then interest rates peaking and coming back down is a pretty good argument for small caps starting to outperform again. I think to add to that, you've also got very cheap valuations. I touched on that nine times that you can buy the, the benchmark on now, down from broadly 16 times. Now, it's a once in a cycle opportunity in terms of valuation for small caps. Over the last 15 years, very rarely has traded at or below the current level. And the only period of time it's, it's traded there for a while has been through the financial crisis. So I think you've got very cheap valuations. I think we do have, we have had, I should say, peak interest rate and inflation expectations. And that that's definitely a catalyst. In fact, in the short term, I think the outlook is quite disinflationary. Soft commodities, which lead food price inflation, are, are pretty soft. Uh, so that's that's good for food price inflation. Gas prices have been very weak recently, considerably below where the Bank of England used forecast gas prices to be in their in their November monetary policy report. So I think you've got those peak peak interest rate inflation expectations, you've got cheap valuations. We have a four-point checklist, which is what I'm running through here. The third one is negative positioning and sentiment. So I think sentiment towards UK equities is is very poor. It's been quite poor for a long time, um, certainly the last two years. 
that's you know it's an opportunity it's a contrarian view to be bullish on uk equities at the moment and around the positioning i would say those outflows we've seen from smaller companies funds and uk equities in general is is indicative of the current positioning towards uk equities and then the fourth point of the checklist is that the rate of economic deterioration is slowing so getting bad less quickly and actually i think we can be quite positive on uk macro at the moment so UK composite PMI in December was actually the best of any major developed economy. We've got real wage growth. Uh, the housing market um, has been through a challenging time. Transactions were very depressed last year given what happened to mortgage rates. Mortgage rates have come back. We've seen three months of improving mortgage approvals and indeed house prices have performed a lot better than people expected them to. The labour market's held up much better than people expected it to. So I, th I think you can be quite positive, actually, that things aren't going to be anywhere near as bad as people thought they were going to be. And we should return to, to real GDP growth. Actually, the UK has been the most upgraded major economy in terms of real GDP growth. I think we've had seven consecutive quarters of real GDP upgrades, admittedly from a very low point. Um, but nevertheless, that, that is positive. So I think you know, all those things pull together to you can be confident that we've got all four of those things. What we haven't seen yet, which we do need for a rally in smaller companies to be sustained, is inflows into UK equity funds and inflows into UK smaller company funds. You've spoken about valuations and for investors entering the market today, that's another big plus point is that you know, there's the opportunity here to potentially buy low. Could you name some examples of companies that you hold which are trading on very low valuations compared to either their history or compared to peers? Sure. So maybe I'll give two examples. One of a, a kind of early stage growth stock, they are much harder to value, and then maybe of a quality business. So ActiveOps is a software business. We've got top 10 position in, in our microcap trust. What ActiveOps does is provide software to large multinational businesses, typically banks and insurance companies, to enable them to drive productivity gains through their back offices, so make their back offices more resilient and ultimately have fewer people in them. So they promote a 15% productivity improvement in back offices. And you can see how that is quite attractive in an environment where you've got high wage growth as we've been through for the last couple of years. So that business has delivered, you know, it's got SaaS revenue. So 90% of their revenues are recurring software revenues. Uh, it's grown those revenues at on average 15% for the last six years. Those revenues, the net retention rate of those revenues is 110%. So the business, once it wins a customer, the churn is, is very low. And that's the kind of KPIs you look for for enterprise software businesses. High gross profit margin, 90% gross profit margin, been free cash flow positive every year in the last six years. And the net cash balance sheet is worth about a quarter of the market cap. That business IPO'd in the summer of 2021, IPO'd in excess of five times sales. It re-rated to above six times sales. Shares were above 200p for a period. That has de-rated, now trades on less than two times sales, about 1.7 times sales, less than 100 pence per share. That is despite that business outperforming revenue, profit, cash expectations that the business was forecast to do at IPO. And then if you strip out the cash from the balance sheet, the free cash flow yield is about 4.5%. Now, given that business is reinvesting, it has low profitability today because it is reinvesting to grow the top line. If you think an enterprise software business can deliver 30% EBITDA margins, 
the business probably delivers sub 5% EBITDA margins at the moment. So there is potential for that business to reduce investment in growth, improve the profitability, and that is a remarkably cheap business today. So that would be a valuation of a, an early stage growth business. And then Supreme is a quality business that we own. Uh, Supreme is an entrepreneurially led business. The, the CEO still owns 25% of that business. They own, uh, manufacture and distribute everyday products. The main one is, is vaping products. So vaping has seen substantial growth over the last kind of five years. It's quite a divisive thing at the moment because the government is pushing vaping in order to stop uh, people smoking and Supreme's been a big part of that. But also we've all seen that underage kids do use those disposable vapes. And so the government has stepped in there and recently banned disposable vaping. So there's every chance that some of that disposable vaping will come into non-disposable vaping and the, and the company will benefit from that. But to have a look at the valuation, the market cap's about 140 million. The company have just guided to doing 38 million of EBITDA in the current financial year. So it's on, let's call it four times EV EBITDA. The company have said 9 million of those of that 38 million of EBITDA is associated with disposable vaping. So let's put that to zero. There's every chance that actually some of that moves over to the rest of the business. That's still a business on five times EV EBITDA. And the business has, over the last six years, grown that profit at 30% per annum. So the compound rate of, of profit growth over the last six years has been 30%. It's a very high growth, high return on capital business that's trading at a remarkably low multiple of profits. And more broadly, how are you playing this potential recovery for UK micro caps and you know, UK smaller companies? Are you finding more opportunities or are you just looking at your existing portfolio and thinking, I've already got a lot of stocks here that are very cheaply valued? It's a bit of both. We've had to kind of continue investing in new in new ideas, partly because M&A has been busy recently and we've had quite a few companies taken out. So we've been replacing those as they've been acquired. City Pubs is one at the moment that we've got in the portfolio, but that's been acquired by Young's. We're always screening the market, looking for new ideas. I'd say the two kind of key areas we've been investing in are, are firstly those derated tech businesses. So we added to Active Ops uh, last year, but other businesses, we bought Diaceutics recently, which is a data business. They provide data to, to big pharma companies. Uh, One Spatial is another software business we've been adding to recently. So those early stage software businesses that are on very cheap multiples of sales, we've been building stakes in. And then also recovery businesses. So we've bought Inspects recently, we've bought IG Design Group to add some more color on kind of the valuation opportunity there. IG Design previously been a business that's delivered six to seven percent margins. They provide kind of celebrations paraphernalia to the big retailers like Tesco's and, and Walmart in the US. Margins have been undermined predominantly by um, an increase in, in freight costs. The management have come out and said, we think we can get margins back to 6%. That looks very sensible given where the business has previously delivered margins. If you assume that that does happen, that business trades on five times PE. And prior to COVID, it traded above 15 times for, for many years. So, you know, that is, again, a very cheap business if they deliver that turnaround in profitability. And finally, I want to ask George, you know, it's, it's very well known that over the very long term, smaller companies tend to outperform larger companies. And there's been past studies on this from the London Business School, which I think was done in conjunction with uh, Numus. Given that it's so well known that that's a fact, could this potentially be arbitraged away in the future? 
Yeah, so the growth premium is what kind of the, that premium you were talking about. So 3 to 4% is the long run small cap premium. We believe there's an additional 1% to 2% for investing in micro caps. And indeed, we think there's an alpha opportunity above and beyond that. I would say it depends how you're defining arbitrage. I would say that is what small cap funds are, are doing. In terms of riskless arbitrage, there isn't enough liquidity in the market for that kind of arbitrage to be done. And the second point is that it isn't every year. It is cyclical, as we've seen over the last couple of years, because of the difference in relative earnings power of, of different parts of the market and indeed the sentiment overlay around that. So I think to say it can be arbitraged is, is probably a bit generous. It definitely can be exploited. And that is what you know a collection of funds, open-ended and closed-ended funds are, are trying to do. I think one of the unique aspects of our trust is our capital return mechanism. So we raised 70 million across our IPO and, and subsequent placing in, in 2014 and 2015. We've actually returned 77 million to shareholders. We do that when the trust gets too large. So we do that um, when the NAV is above 110, between 110 and 130 million. What that means is we are harvesting our fund when the markets are well bid and when people are investing in smaller micro caps. So we returned 35 million in 2021. In hindsight, a great time to take money out of the market. It also means that we can exploit that liquidity premium because we don't need to raise capital and return it to shareholders when markets are out of favor as they are at the moment. So I think we've got a good mechanism to exploit that liquidity premium. Yeah, I don't think you could have kind of riskless arbitrage for, for, the, for the small cap premium. Because of course, if, you know, if you're running an open-ended UK smaller company fund and you've seen outflows, then effectively you need to sell some of your own portfolio to refund investors. Yeah, so if you look at the data from the IA for the open-ended sector, at the end of 2021, there was 19.5 billion of AUM across all of the open-ended UK small cap funds. If you go to the end of October or November, I can't remember what the data point is, but it's down to 9.2. Now it's bounced since then because smaller companies have delivered positive, absolute and relative performance since then. And that isn't all outflows. It's obviously a bear market in small caps plus the outflows from small cap funds. But the total AUM of those 70 or 80 open-ended funds has, has halved over the last two and a half years. My thanks to George and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and please do tell a friend about it. And if you get a chance, do leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you'd like us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. And in the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.